Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 685 with John Reardon. John has some pro tips on managing conflict in general and specifically when it comes to the virtual team and remote environment. Great stuff. You'll learn one, three best practices for preventing conflict. Two, how to face conflict head on with the SBID model. And three, the three options you have when working with a jerk. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, please visit us at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP685 and take a spin around the cool resources we have, such as the ability to search the full text of every transcript via that little magnifying search class out to the top menu there. Good stuff at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's John's story. For over 30 years, John Reardon has been committed to challenging people and organizations to reach their full capacity. First as a leadership program founder and director in East Africa, and now as an organization and leadership development consultant. He has consulted with a broad range of federal, private sector, and nonprofit organizations, conducting hundreds of planning, team building, and training workshops, ranging from large conferences to small teams. Big thanks to John for sharing his wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's John. John, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom. But first, I want to hear <laughs> about the Marine Corps marathon that you did. <laughs> How is that different than a normal marathon? And what's the backstory here? Yeah. Well, yeah. So that's a good question. And, uh, and the backstory is interesting, too. So first of all, I'll say a former friend. I don't like this guy anymore. <laughs> I went out for a jog one day. And I mean, I've never run more than three miles in my life. And he says, have you ever thought about running a marathon? I'm like, <laughs> you know, laugh out loud. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> Five miles would be a stretch. I have no interest in running a marathon whatsoever. He says, why not? Well, I can think of a thousand reasons why not. I don't want to get injured. He goes, well, you don't have to get injured. If something hurts, you stop. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's boring. Running for hours is boring. Well, could you do something about that? Well, long story short, you could listen to things and learn things, and you'd be amazed at how much you can learn while you're running for two or three hours. <laughs> long story short, he coached me. Simply by saying, by asking, the ultimate coaching question is, what could you do about that? And ultimately, he sort of helped me dismantle all my own defenses to the point where I kind of had to do it. <laughs> mm. And so I like to say I completed 
the Marine Corps, meaning I walk, run, right? Not run the whole way. I had all these mental models, right? I thought everyone who ran any marathon would be super athlete fit runner. Nope, not the case whatsoever, right? I, you know, you look at any marathon, but the Marine Corps, especially, I mean, any size shapes, you would be shocked at who is capable of completing a marathon. Uh, I thought you had to die at the end because as the first marathoner did, I thought that was a requirement mm-hmm. you had to run with all your strength and then collapse and die. Nope. Apparently that is not a requirement. So, so I couldn't stick to that one. And so just dismantling all these barriers that I had in my mind, some of which were simply like, I guess you'd say excuses, but many of which were just misunderstandings, right? Misinterpretations or, or assumptions I was making. And it was such a powerful metaphor for my own experience. Cause I do this kind of coaching with folks all the time. And so to experience it for myself and realize how many assumptions I'm making, how many misunderstandings, how many barriers, artificial barriers I've put in my way. And when you remove those, it's like, oh, shoot, now I guess I have to do it because no more excuses. <laughs> and the Marine Corps is a, they call it uh, America's Marathon. It's the beginner's marathon. It's a very flat course. They promote first time marathoners. So you get kind of bumped up if it's your first one. And there's thousands of people cheering you the entire way. And so, you know, it just, it's a high, I mean, the whole way that you're being cheered on and encouraged and all that stuff. And so it was a great experience. Very cool. Well, yeah, there's lessons right there and, and, and metaphors and deconstructing excuses. Oh, I'll tell you so much. And yeah, what yeah, could you do about yeah. that is, is a fine question. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> cool. Well, so you've got a, a boatload of experience uh, when it comes to leadership development, and you've got many courses, and we've had several conversations with folks about, you know, virtual teams and virtual leadership and, and virtual meetings and overcoming distractions when you're working from home, etc. But what, what intrigued me about you is, is you've specifically got courses on dealing with conflict in virtual environments and facilitating in virtual environments. And I think those are probably two of the toughest things to do when folks are in different places. So let's dig in and, and talk about conflict resolution stuff in, in a virtual context. And maybe could you kick us off with, with a juicy story? Like what's a, what, what's a good, good, meaty, you know, reality TV grade uh, drama <laughs> or conflict that you've seen or, or heard about from your clients resolved through virtual media. Yeah, right. So as I say, conflict is typically challenging for most of us, regardless, even when we are in person and it's uncomfortable and awkward and all this sort of stuff. Well, in the you layer on the virtual context and it just changes the parameters. And there are some upsides, right? There's some, there's some upside to the virtual context. We might not annoy each other as much. My personality might not grate on you because we're not across the hallway from each other, you know, whatever. But clearly the downside is that the big challenge is that the little misunderstanding in that email, right, goes unaddressed. And it, we have to be intentional, very intentional about bringing it up, about mentor. Because otherwise, when we're in person, we'll bump into each other in the hallway. Man, I'll see you at lunch, whatever, at the next meeting. You know, hey, Pete, you know, about that thing, about that project, about that whatever. And we have these otherwise even unnoticed interactions. The volume of interaction that happens in person that is in the ethosphere, really, right, has been very interesting to watch the literature emerging in the past 18 months. 
because prior to COVID, you had intentionally virtual organizations, right? People who chose to work virtually, their organization wanted them to work virtually. Their job was structured for virtual work. Well, the past 18 months is, for most of us, has been suddenly virtual, without choice, without option, without structure, and you know, basically chaos. And so all of that ethosphere interaction just vaporized. And all of a sudden, you know, you and I are exchanging emails. We have that misunderstanding, but we don't see each other if at best on a video conference, if that once a week. And so I'm not going to set up a meeting to address this minor thing with you. And so it grows. And so that distance grows. And so pretty soon you start to have the wedge, right, that develops. So in terms of the juicy stories, geez, I don't even know where to begin. The one that pops to mind is, you know, we're sitting there on a meeting convened by a full bird colonel. And one of the participants is on video and he's clearly distracted. And as the colonel is presenting, this guy is talking to other people. He's looking all over. He's like obviously not paying attention. Well, <laughs> this doesn't go over well <laughs> with the colonel <laughs> who finally stops and says, Hey, I'll call him Joe. Joe, awkward sound. Joe, hmm. this guy's talking. He's not, he doesn't even hear himself being, he's probably muted the whole thing. I mean, it's, you know, a good couple of minutes before Joe finally like looks down and awkward. And, oh, oh, I'm uh, sorry. And he's like, so are you with us, Joe? Oh, oh, sorry. Well, there's too many people on the call. The colonel's not going to address Joe right there and then, which is good. So what's the colonel going to do, right? Is he going to make an appointment with Joe? Is he going to set up another call to have this discussion? What happened? Uh, I mean, this whole thing, was <laughs> like... It just snowballs into this. The whole team is involved because everybody watched it. If you were in a conference room and someone was distracted and that happened, it would essentially get resolved real time, probably, right? Right? Optimistically, just by virtue of the interaction. In the virtual world, that meeting's over. Boop, everyone disappears. Yeah. So we all witness it and then it's over, right? There's no hallway discussion. There's no post chat, right? Discussion. And so you have this awkward thing, and it, the only way to resolve it is reconvene and have the discussion, both the colonel and the individual, and then bringing it back to the group. And I mean, the processing of that conflict in the virtual context took so much more effort than it would have real time, right? Optimistically, real time, you just interact, resolve, address, move on. And so in the virtual world, this, it's, it is challenging to be intentional, to lean into it. For those of us who it's not a natural strength. I mean, there's a few people where conflict, they're just good at it. And then there's the rest of us. <laughs> well, now we have to know how things conclude. So what happened with the Colonel and Joe at the end of the day? <laughs> well, let's just say Joe kind of wrapped it up with his tail, which was like, in his mind, his perspective was that this was urgent. This was, I don't know if he used the word crisis, but in his mind, this was urgent and he needed to address it right away. Well, I don't know how familiar you are with the military, but well, full bird colonel, it's like you could pretty much use rank unless it's a general. <laughs> you pay attention to the colonel first or you interrupt and say, I'm sorry, sir, I have the buildings on fire. I'm going to have to step away for a few, you know. And so his lack of awareness of the protocol and how to handle his situation on his end. Now, Colonel is re reasonably gracious, but it definitely clarified that this guy, and so he was two steps down from the Colonel. He's a civilian. So he doesn't, he reports to his boss, his boss reports to the Colonel. 
well, let's just say he it was clear he has a lot to learn, right? So now he's kind of, what's the right word? Not demoted positionally, but he didn't show up well. He showed up really badly. So now he's going to have to overcome that. It's going to take time for him to demonstrate that he has learned, right? And sort of overcome that experience with folks. And again, in the virtual world, he only has very limited opportunities to do that. In person, you'd have more meetings, you'd have more interactions, you'd have the hallway come. Now he's like has to lean into it and really reestablish his reputation in, the, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So he's still there, as far as I know. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but it was not good. <laughs> okay. Well, that does kind of paint a picture in terms of, of things that can occur and the extra challenges that ensue. So lay it on us. What are some of the best practices you've discovered when it comes to managing conflict when folks are remote? First and foremost, intentionality, paying attention. It's so much easier when we're virtual to just dismiss it. I mean, and let it go. And, and it's no big deal. And it might not be a big deal, right? It, it's just that clumsy email, or maybe they didn't really mean it, or maybe I'm misinterpreting what Pete said in his text, or, you know, and just let it go. Well, okay. But, <laughs> however, it's so tempting to do that because when we switch off the call, I'm back in my own world and I'm not going to see you in the hallway. And I'm not going to bump into you in the coffee break room. And so it's, we're not going to, and so it's easier to just dismiss it. So paying attention, right? Intentionality. Is this worth addressing? Should I address it? And even before that, I like to say, what's my bias with regard to conflict in the first place, right? I am conflict avoidant. So I know that my bias is to let it go. And therefore, with given that bias, I may need to lean into this and step into this more than I feel comfortable with. That's probably true. Mm -hmm. There are some people in the world who are conflict-seeking, right, who don't mind. My father-in-law was this way. He loved a good knockdown drag. Like to him, everything was an opportunity for a very energetic debate. Anyone else would have said, gosh, why are you arguing? And he'd say, I'm not arguing. We're just having a healthy debate. So he didn't mind, and he would lean into everything. Most of us, percentage-wise, I think, you know, most people are on that conflict reluctant. And so how to assess yourself with regard to your style around conflict, and then in the virtual realm, being attentive and intentional, being more open to it. And then third, I'd say, is talk about it. Talk about it. Like, for goodness sake, bring this up as a team with your colleagues, right? So Pete, you and I are going to work together for the next 12 months. Hey, can we talk about some operating agreements? How are we going to handle differences of opinion? How are we going to handle conflict? How are we going to handle right our working practices? What's our communication style? What can we do to help each other and find a good way through the mill? And so having a conversation about how we will handle conflict before we're in the middle of a big conflict is so, so critical for teams and so helpful to get it out on the table so it's not some awkward, right, taboo subject that nobody wants to broach. That's just so huge whenever it comes to aligning expectations in many contexts in terms of, well, one, up front, we kind of know, hey, what we're dealing with and, and what the standards are. And two, it just sort of prevents a lot of that stuff. It's like someone is mad because someone <laughs> else has not fulfilled their unspoken expectations. Yep. And it's like, oh, oh sorry, I, I didn't realize I broke a rule that uh, <laughs> was never mentioned as, as being a rule. Oops. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So that's just a great practice to do in, in many contexts. And so when it comes to how are we going to address conflict, are, have you seen any particular best practices that uh, have been in a lot of operating agreements and, and been really helpful for folks? 
Yeah, well, that would be the first one is to establish a set of operating agreements. Now, I would offer prior to that, a really good practice is to have that conversation and do an assessment. I don't necessarily mean formally, just as a team, just discuss. Where do you think, you know, Pete, what's your style? Are you more conflict avoidant or are you more conflict seeking somewhere in the middle? You know, help me understand your style. I'll explain to you that I do tend to be conflict avoidant. I get uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean I don't want to do it. It's just I get all sort of uneasy. So bear with me to the extent that you can encourage me and and keep me going in the conflict. That'll be helpful to me. So let's have that discussion. Where are we as a team? And there's some real simple models that will help folks have a conversation. There's from Patrick Lencioni, the, the five dysfunctions of a team. He, he has this conflict continuum. Uh, and one end is artificial harmony, right? Where we're all avoiding it. Oh, it's great. Everything's great. Yep. We're all good. Yeah. No, no, no. There's no problem here. Like, really? Because <laughs> it sure sounded like there was. <laughs> so artificial harmony on one end, and on the other is destructive conflict, you know, mean spirit attacks and backbiting and all that sort of stuff. And so the ideal is healthy and constructive conflict is somewhere in that middle ground where we're able to have the hard conversations and we're open to that. So assessing with a small A, you don't have to take a big instrument or anything, just where do you think we are? And let's talk about it. And what would it look like for us to, to maintain a healthy and constructive conflict culture? And then that can lead you into, okay, so how do we do that, right? And I would say that that it becomes a matter of operating agreements where we can talk about, like, what does that look like? Well, we should respect each other. Okay, what does that really mean, right? What does that really look like for you? Well, it means we don't interrupt each other. Well, I mean, I'm a strong extrovert. I don't care about interruptions, but if you do, then I'll try to pay attention to that. If I interrupt you, don't take it personally. I'm not trying to dismiss your point. I'm very extroverted. Okay, good. We can learn about each other, come to some agreements, right? And then try to put them into practice. And so when it comes to what those agreements are, I would say that there are clearly some general ones like respect, taking responsibility, addressing things early, not letting the fester, criticism in private, right? Constructive critique in private, affirmation in public, right? Those types of Pretty general stuff. And then you get into specifics for a given team based on their situation. Lovely. And so then let's just say we're in the thick of things and uh, someone did something that maybe we didn't have the good fortune to have listened to you earlier. (laughs) And thusly, uh, those operating agreements were not formally established. Someone did something. I am miffed. What do you recommend are some of the, the best ways to to go about cleaning that up and, and addressing the matter? Any go-to scripts, words, phrases, principles? So there's a feedback model that is a nice, uh, I like that word script. I like the, the model of a recipe, right? So I use this metaphor a lot with groups, you know, you have a recipe, how to make something. Once you've done it a number of times, you can play with it. You don't have to follow the recipe exactly. And you can add something or try something different and see how it goes. But the basic recipe, at least, is a guide. And so this this model is from the Center for Creative Leadership, SBID, Situation, Behavior, Impact, Desired Outcome, SBID. And so what's the situation, right? So I don't call you and leave a voicemail and say, Pete, we need to talk. I'm just not happy with how you attacked me at the meeting the other day. Whoa. 
what on earth? <laughs> like what? That's like you're already going to be on the defensive. You don't even know what I'm where I'm coming from. So give a little context to this. What's the situation? Right. So Pete, we were in that meeting. We were on that call. We were having that discussion. Do you remember that? And I was presenting. And you remember? And then remember how you asked that question to me? And it. I don't know if you knew. So that's situation. Okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm with you. Right. We got it. I understand the context. Now the behavior, the B. That's critical because it's not. It's not an accusation. It's simply a statement of behavior. Mm-hmm. You're a jerk. <laughs> not that. Exactly. Right, Pete. You keep criticizing me in public. You keep like dismantling my arguments. What? I'm not trying to, I don't even know what you're, I'm not dismantling her. Well, you asked that question. Uh, yeah, that's all I did was ask a question. Well, you're trying to undermine me. Whoa, I'm trying to undermine you. I just had a question about your data. Like I, like really, I'm not, okay, impact. The impact was, it felt to me that you were trying to undermine my credibility. It felt like you were questioning my presentation, questioning my data. I was asking a question about your data. I wasn't trying to embarrass you in public, right? So that impact helps you understand how your behavior impacted me, but it also is important for me to own that, right? Assuming good intent, unless I have enough record to believe that you actually are out to get me, (laughs) then the other possibility is that you didn't do it intentionally, but this is how it impacted me. And can we have a conversation about that? And that is a huge, huge, what would you call that? A sea change, right? A really big distinction. And here's the question you can write down. Did you do this on purpose, right? Did the person, whoever they are, did they do this to you intentionally? Did they do it to you on purpose? Now, is that a question you ask yourself internally or a question you ask of the other party? Well, kind of both and. Right. That's a good point. It starts with me asking it of myself. Right. So my example is somebody cuts me off in traffic. Right. Oh, can you believe that? What an idiot. And then my wife says, well, you know, maybe their wife's having a baby. Maybe they have to maybe their house is on fire. Maybe there's all kinds of reasons. Well, the person didn't roll down the window and say, hey, are you John Reardon? Yes. Oh, OK. I'm going to cut you off because I can't stand you and I want to ruin your day. <laughs> That's not what they're thinking. Right. They are just being self-centered. They're just going about their day. They're not paying attention to me and they cut me off. It doesn't mean it's okay, but it it wasn't about me. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. You're asking a question in the middle of the presentation. Your mindset might be, I don't really like those numbers. I wonder where he got those. There's all kinds of reasons why you might be asking that question other than, Watch this. I'm going to ask this question and dismantle John's argument. It's going to be great. He's going to fall apart, right? Because that would be intentional. Then we're adversaries. (laughs) But there's a lot of other possibilities as to why people do what they do. And so having that discussion, disarming, I love that metaphor, disarming the conflict so that it becomes, instead of a capital C, we're having a full-blown argument. It's a small C. Can we talk about this? Right. Well, I didn't like your numbers. Well, I appreciate that. And of course, you have the right to ask about my numbers. I would ask you to respect the fact that this is a presentation in front of senior managers. And could you have followed up with me later? Or I asked you to review the material ahead of time. And I don't know if you did, but I would have appreciated you asking me that question before the meeting, you know, et cetera. So there's all kinds of ways we might address it to resolve the distinction without it getting into a capital C conflict. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and so as I step into this scenario that you've you've created, John, I, I just sort of wonder, like, what do you do when the other party? I don't know. I won't say that they're like malicious, evil jerks trying to get you, mm-hmm. but they just think your concern is dumb. They're like, look, John, yeah, yeah. We, this is a data-driven organization. We try to make the best decisions. If I got a question about your data, I'm going to ask a question about your data. I don't care who, where we are, who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. This is just mm-hmm. how we get to the truth and optimal business results. So pull up your big boy pants and get a thick skin and, and stop <laughs> whining to me about this inane bull crap so we can go make insane value for shareholders. Yeah. Right. Let's say you get a pretty rude, but not mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. maliciously. That's right, yeah. buddy. I'm out to take you down. So watch your back. <laughs> you know, so a yeah. pretty rude and dismissive response. How do you think about those? Yeah. So let me emphasize the distinction that you just made, because again, one is, I have reason to believe that this person is an active adversary. They are literally out to take me down. And those do exist. I'm not, I'm not talking about being naive right. and pretending that everybody is your best friend. There are a few, and hopefully a few, adversaries that you should watch out for. If you have a lot of adversaries, then you got to decide whether you can sustain that lifestyle and that, and that career. And some people can but for many of us, that might be a signal for a job change if I'm surrounded by people who want to take me out. <laughs> Either sign up for that or you don't. So that's your that first distinction. The second, the way you're describing it is, look, it's not about you, John. I don't really don't care. Like I, I'm going to keep asking those questions. You just have to get over it. So they're not out to take me down, but they're not also going to handle me with kid gloves. Then it becomes a question of power, right? Power and influence in the organization. Because if that voice is coming from a full bird kernel and I'm the low person on the totem pole, then guess what? <laughs> I have to either live with that and go about my business, or I have to decide I'm in the wrong organization. If that person is a peer and we're on equal footing, so to speak, then that's a whole different scenario. What influence do I have? Do I continue the discussion? Do I counter with, hey, I just beat, I don't think that's a great way for us to work. Right. Because if I did that to you, you wouldn't be happy. I mean, can we not find a better way of working together? That's the D in the SBID. The desired outcome is can we learn to work together well? Now, option three, if that voice was coming from a subordinate, you know, somebody who reports to me, I'd say, okay, have a seat. We need to talk. (laughs) You need to decide whether you want to stay here or not, because this is not how we're going to operate in my sphere of influence. Right. So it depends on who that individual is and what power and authority relationship we have. Well, that's handy. Thank you. Well, tell me, John, any other key things you want to make sure to mention about conflict resolution and in virtual settings? Maybe any sort of tools or, or favorite apps, software, things that you find handy? That's interesting. For me, the resources are now they're showing up online. Apps-wise, it doesn't come to mind, but in terms of models... So one is by an author named Peter Block, B-L-O-C-K, and Peter Block's partnership model lays out this distinction between trust and agreement. And so you ask yourself, okay, and I go through this exercise, a great exercise for everybody to do, mapping out, especially in the work context, but of course, this bleeds over to our, the rest of our lives as well. How much trust is there in the, in the relationship and how much agreement right, in terms of the content of the discussion. So we disagree about the numbers and the data, but I don't distrust you. I trust that you're just asking a question about the numbers. That's okay. 
Versus if there's no trust, then we have a serious problem, right? Trust is obviously far more critical than agreement. If I trust you, we can disagree about anything, but I still trust you, right? We trust each other. And that distinction is huge. So Peter Block, it's a great article. And I've got summary worksheets on this on, the web, on my website, but it's the kind of thing that really helps you lay out, okay, who are my allies, right? That I trust, we agree, we're working in the same direction. I can really rely on these folks. There's other categories, and there's some unknowns, and then there's the adversaries, right? We disagree on the direction, and guess what? We don't trust each other, so watch out. And okay, like it's, let's not be naive. Let's map this out. So that's a really helpful sort of getting the lay of the land. Let's see. Patrick Lencioni's material around conflict is fantastic. That's all available on his site. Good stuff. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? First and foremost, in practical terms, from two authors, Rob Goffey and Gareth Jones. And there's a lot of different ways to say this, but the bumper sticker for their material is be yourself with more skill. Be yourself with more skill. And I'll tell you, if I gave them a nickel for every time I've shared that thought, (laughs) I owe them. And what I love about that is five words. It's amazing, five words. But boy, you talk about a life journey. And this applies so powerfully to the work and your career and what I'd like to say your calling. But it also applies equally to your personal relationships, family, friends, community, name it. Be yourself right? Be who you are made to be. Figure out who you are. Bring yourself to the table, your values, your strengths, your personality, but do it with more skill. I spent years trying to be something else, be more of this, be less of that, as opposed to, okay, who am I? And then how do I show up skillfully? How do I bring my strengths to bear in a skillful way? And if if that makes sense, it's such an interesting, but very powerful nuance. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I really appreciate the stuff that they did around this piece around authentic leadership. So Goffey and Jones, and essentially one of those harbingers, there's been plenty of research around this, but the culture of leadership and the shift from command and control, right? So my dad was a Marine, World War II, Korean War Marine. And let me tell you, you did what the boss told you to do right? Command and control, right? Why should I do what you tell me? Because I'm your boss, because I'm above you. I outrank you. I mean, you name it. You do what you're told. Well, clearly, we take it for granted that the leadership culture has evolved tremendously. Their article was called, Why Should Anyone Be Led by You? (laughs) Right? Which kind of flips it on its head. And so now, leadership now is about respect right? And response and people choosing to follow you, choosing to allow you to influence them. And that's what leadership is about now, mm-hmm. right? And it's really uh, evolved tremendously. And so that piece of research that kind of encapsulated that and demonstrated that amongst many, but to me is a real, what would you call that? A, a milestone marker that we have really shifted as a culture. All right. And how about a favorite book? Currently, the one that has is making the biggest difference in my life is called The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. She calls them tendencies, these ideas of how I operate, what makes me tick, what moves me from ideas into action, and that how different that can be for different people. And that has been super insightful for me and and in sharing that with clients and helping people understand. And of course, it overlaps with personalities and all those other things, but essentially focusing in on moving from thought into action. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. And a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job. Yeah, I, I would repeat that one, the four tendencies. So for me on that, the huge light bulb for me is that I am motivated by external factors. And I spent years, right, trying to be more self-disciplined, trying to develop, just put my nose to the grindstone and get it done. Not bad to have self-discipline. That's great. But she distinguishes that some people are internally motivated and they will, when they decide to do something, they'll go do it. Other people are externally motivated, right? So I can have a great idea, something I'd even like to do. But if nobody else is involved, if I'm not accountable to anybody, if I, know, if I don't have to answer to anyone, if no one else is there, then the likelihood of me doing it is much lower. As soon as somebody else is involved, I'll do it. So I've harnessed that. I got myself an executive assistant who is my professional bulldog. And I say, Jory, make sure this happens. I mean, I'm on this podcast because of her, right? I love doing these things, but I'm not going to do it. She says, you're going to do it. Make sure it happens. And then I do it. (laughs) And so harnessing that tendency for me of external motivation I mean, I can't even tell you everything I've been able to accomplish simply because it's gone from ideas, right? A long list of good ideas in my head and actually turning them into action. Uh And how about a favorite habit? I would say two. Exercising has been huge. I can't say enough about it just in terms of de-stress, in terms of getting all that energy out in the negative sense and then coming back and being ready to go. But also what I love about going to the gym, one of the big ups is little incremental small victories, right? So I keep track of my workouts. I'm only there for half an hour, 40 minutes tops. But I but I try to just keep incrementally improving. And it's very cool, right, to start the day by adding a few more reps or adding a few more pounds or adding a few more whatever to that weight or to that, you know, exercise. And to feel like, okay, all right, this is something I can win at. And so now I can go back into the day and bring that same sense of energy and, and motivation into the rest of what I got to do. So that's number one. And then number two, what I listen to. And I can't say enough. Same thing through the 18 months. I mean, I like God bless you if you grew up with lots of positive encouragement and all this stuff. I had I had a very affirming upbringing, but my dad worked for IBM, very neutral, not an entrepreneur. You know, just went to work and came home. So I never had somebody a voice in my ear saying, "Hey, you got this. You can do it. Get in there. Bring you know, you're great at this. You can go. You know, whatever." all that sort of coaching and positive affirmation. And so it's been huge to tap into just little YouTube clips, right? Different motivational stuff that suits my style. And to really have that voice in my ear, literally, right? Cheering me on, coaching me on. It's been fantastic. Very, very much a game changer, especially over this stressful time. Mm -hmm. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks that quote it back to you often? Oh, that first one, be yourself with more skill. That's number one. Absolutely. And John, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? JohnRudin.com is the email address and JohnRudin.com is the website. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? That journey of self-discovery is absolutely, I can't say enough about what a starting point that is. And it's a journey. You know, you don't like, it's not like you take two weeks off and learn about yourself and then that's it. But to delve into that, right? What are your core values? And contemplating that, really defining it, writing it down. Everybody, would, almost any American is going to say, oh, I have core values. Okay, what are they? Uh, I don't really know. <laughs> so what are your core values? Write them down. Think about them. Define them. There's different ways to go about that. 
what are your strengths that you bring, right, to the world, to your work, to your family, right? What are those? Do you know what they are or do you just kind of know? And what's your personality traits, right? What makes you tick? What motivates you? All that sort of capturing that, collecting that awareness. Well, John, this has been a treat. Thank you for sharing the goods and keep on rocking. Thanks, B. My pleasure. My pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope it's as encouraging and challenging and useful to folks. I am such a fan of that SBID model associated with conflict, the situation to provide that context, the behavior that's troublesome, the impact, how that affected you, and the desired outcome. And so what I love about that is often I find those conversations like, oh, I don't know, it's tricky, it's uncomfortable, I don't know where to start, oh, should I even do this? I feel really awkward about going here. It's like, okay, well, here's where we start. I got four categories of things to cover. Well, all right, well, that's, that's, suddenly it becomes more manageable with these four bite-sized pieces. It's like, okay, well, first, the, hey, what was the situation? I was like, well, that's easy. Hey, we're at this meeting. What was the behavior? Okay, well, that's easy. What was the impact? And then suddenly it's, it sort of decharges it. It's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, this will probably be pretty uncomfortable, but here's what I'm going to say. And I'm not going to, you know, be super accusatory like, you are a jerk who screwed me over in this way. Like, hey, this is kind of what went down and what's going on. So could we do this? Oh. Well, sure. Or, or maybe not. And then you can, you can work from there. You have more information as a result of having engaged in that exchange. So huge thanks to John for that and more. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items that we talked about over here was at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP685. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.